Hi everyone and welcome back to Farron and Film. Today we are doing another top 10. Uh, so congratulations if you got through the other top 10, which is, you know, mammoth as it is. This one will be smaller or shorter, we've been told. What in, theory. in theory. In <laughs> theory. Um, this it's, is... it's difficult to guarantee when you've got the dream team together though. I right? mean, this is it, isn't it? You know, we've all got opinions, some of which <laughs> we agree with, some of which we don't. Um, this is top 10 crap you love. Um, and I am going to keep that title because I think that summarizes everything pretty well. Yeah. They're basically films that the general consensus might be that it's a bit of a naff film, but for whatever reason, you just love it. I've bent it a little in that. Okay. Some of them are just film, and I think I put them lower down to reflect it, but I think they're films that aren't necessarily hated, but I definitely don't think they get the love they deserve. All oh, right. Okay. Right. Fine. Yeah. Um, so I've got some honourable mention. I've got one honourable mention and then four that I put in my list and then later found out actually people don't think they're that bad. Mm. Um, so the four that I originally put in, thinking for whatever reason that a lot of people just didn't like it, um, were Lyle Lyle Crocodile, which I really enjoyed, um, Johnny English, and I think that stems more from Gemma's hate of Johnny English. I love Johnny English. Yeah, I love Johnny English. I love Johnny English, but for some reason, when I mentioned it in the top 10 comedies, everybody turned on me. And it was like... They should. What do you mean, they should? Comedy. There's a bit where he just, like, climbs through a toilet and it's supposed to be really, really funny. Anyway, um, I assume... George is laughing in the background yeah. at the remembering that scene. <laughs> No. I assumed not many people enjoyed the Nicolas Cage Gone in 60 Seconds, so that was originally on my list, and then it turns out quite a lot of people do. So, <laughs> that. Um, and then one that I mentioned on the last one, because again, I assumed it got crapped on, but it didn't, was Tron Legacy. Um, Tron Legacy's got 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, so it's fairly high. The one that just missed it, in terms of where I'm sticking at, um, was See No Evil. Um, which is a horror film as Kanan the wrestler, um, so that's why I like it. <laughs> but I thought I need to need to drop that off the list a little bit. All of mine, like I said on the last podcast, are in the fives out of ten on IMDb. The lowest I go is five point one. The highest is five point nine. Um, so they're all sort of in that I suppose middling category. But then when you look at Wikipedia, that sort of damning sentence of this was received with negative reviews, um, yeah. which is basically where I've sort of put myself at. I Holly, didn't do that level of research at all. Well, Holly, you got any that just didn't make your list? Yeah, so when I started making a list, quite a lot of the films I put on it were ones that I only like ironically. So they're absolutely rubbish, but I enjoy how rubbish they are. And I changed my mind later and decided... I should only put films that I actually really genuinely like but are considered rubbish by others. Um, so I guess the, the crap that I love, ironically, is my honourable mention. So The Room, God amongst mere films, is, is I, I could watch it a million times. The scene where he walks into the florist and the florist says, oh, I didn't see you there, when... He is the most visible man on <laughs> earth. He can be seen from space. He's so strange. 
strange and interesting looking. I love um, you. Gets me, gets me every time. But I love the room, but I love it because it's terrible, not despite it being terrible. So uh, it's, yeah, that can't go on the main list. Um, and then other things like Sharknado. Sharknado was the first film that my son ever watched. Um, I'm very proud of that. Um, I, I absolutely loved it. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 74%. The um, critics said it redefines so bad it's good for a new generation. Um, and I completely agree. I mean, yeah. there's that scene where they're in an underpass where there is no water. There is no water there. It's visible that there is no water. They open their car doors. There is no splash. They get out of the car. There is no splash. Cuts to a picture of sharks in the deep ocean, like stock footage of sharks in an ocean. And that's supposed to be in the underpass. The characters all scream and start running. There are no splashes because they're not in water. Cut back to the stock footage of sharks. So we're supposed to believe that there are sharks in deep water chasing them while they're running on solid ground. It is the weirdest stuff that I have ever seen, but I really, really do love it. Um, and just lots of things that know that they're like zombie though, I saw recently on Netflix. That is terrible, but really good fun because it's terrible. Mm. Um, so they would be my honorable mentions. The way I uh, organized my list, I haven't listed them in order of how much I love them. I've listed them on their Rotten Tomatoes score. So I'm going from the highest score to the lowest score. Right. And I just love them all equally. Um, the highest score I've got on the list is 64%, um, percent, which isn't actually rotten. However, all the critics' um, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes loved it ironically and I love it genuinely so I thought that could that could go on there the others range from 58% to 17% what they like to see because mm. I, I, I love them all I think there's a genuine ranking to my list because when I told Amy yesterday I think my one and my two are very interchangeable um, just because of what they are and all that kind of stuff. But then when I told Amy my number one, she was like, no, you need to keep that at your number one because even she knows of all of the hills that I will die on, that <laughs> is my hill. Um, so, yeah. Ollie? Um, these, like, these kind of hot take lists of, you know, crap you love, great you hate, um, they were quite difficult for me. Um because I will usually hate a film because it's bad, and I'll like a film because it's good. So no, you, you just have the one opinion, don't you? Yeah, just... yeah. No, if 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 I don't like the film, it's bad. That's the only reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I did genuinely struggle with it. The only film I didn't do anything like the research you guys have done of you know Rotten Tomato, IMDb scores, anything like that. I just went with are there films that I think either get overhated or just don't get the love I think they deserve or they are terrible, but I kind of love them, even if it is ironically. The only um, honourable mention I've got, and it's because I haven't actually seen it from start to finish, and it is The Room. And I am 90% sure, at least, 
if I had watched it all the way through, it would be at number one. Because I know every single quote. I know all of the stuff behind it. I did not hear. It's not true. I did, I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Like, oh, hi, Mark. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, God. Just everything I know about that. Georgia went to watch it with her brother. We're both of them there, Greg. So Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau were there at the screening to give an introduction at the beginning. And it was it's the modern day Rocky Horror in that you take your props with you. You take American footballs and you're launching it. I'm going with her at some point. I don't know when. We've not specifically planned it, but we're doing this. We're taking it and we're doing the quotes and everything. And I'm going to die laughing. But that's my only honourable mention. Okay. Uh, well, Ollie, you're going to kick us off for your number 10 this time. Okay. Uh, my number 10 is Deep Blue Sea. Yes. 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 <laughs> it is absolute schlock. There's no denying it is absolute schlock. But the one moment, I could prattle on about it forever long, but for the sake of brevity, the one moment that seals this in as a film I love is that moment where you think Samuel L. Jackson is going to, you know what I'm talking about, you yeah. think he's going to take charge. You think, what is first? You've never seen ice. And he's doing his intense Samuel L. Jackson stare. First, we're going to find a way off this ring. And a cartoon shark just comes out, chomp, by nah. Oh. <laughs> it's absolutely perfect. It's... Just... LL Cool J and his parrot. Yeah, you uh... ate my bird. Yeah. <laughs> Oh it's Stellan Skarsgård, who is, who is, you know, described as the most brilliant scientific mind in the world. And Samuel L. Jackson's looking at him, he's like, he's pissing into the wind. How good a scientist can he be? <laughs> what a start. Yeah, what just start. deep blue sea. I've not seen it in so long as well. And it I was need... one of the first films we had as a DVD as a family. Mm. So it went around a lot because it was mm. like, what else are you going to watch, <laughs> you know? I think they wanted to write it originally that the Saffron Burroughs character ended up with the Thomas Jane character. Oh. And like the initial test audiences were like, we hate her. She's basically a Nazi scientist. She's evil. Like, kill her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Holly, you're number 10. Oh. 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 Apologies. <laughs> I've just had my partner is the best partner in the world. He because I spent the gap between these two podcasts today putting my baby to sleep. He's just brought me my lunch. Oh, so. nice! So my number ten is the film that isn't rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, but people like it ironically, and I don't. I just think it's great, which is Bride and Prejudice. <laughs> I love. Pride and Prejudice. We've already had two uh, Austin adaptations, kinda, on my list of the worst films I've ever seen. But this one is how you do it in a modern way. It should be as camp as Christmas. It should be, you know, uh, colourful, silly. Uh, it should be over the top. Um, if you if you're going to go there. Make it Bollywood, for goodness sake. Um, the the songs and uh, dance routines are brilliant. 
No Life Without Wife, I sing that all day long. If my partner um, makes any kind of noises towards, I'd be better off without you, you pain in the neck, I will sit, dance around the house going, No Life Without Wife, doing <laughs> the actual dance routine. Um, it's, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, obviously from the title, it is a Bollywood remake of Pride and Prejudice. Um, there is a kind of half Western cast, half Bollywood cast. Um, the Western cast, particularly the actor playing Darcy and the actors playing his mother and his sister, are absolute rubbish. But the Bollywood cast are fabulous. Um, the actress playing um, the uh, Elizabeth character, who in this film is called Lalita, is um, Aishwarya Bachchan. Um, who is a very big uh, Hollywood actress um, and is just brilliant in it. Um, you absolutely believe that she is this kind of wit-smart um, character who's a bit too uh, uh, clever for her own good. She has a high opinion of herself and her ability to read others and then is a bit humbled later. Um, yeah, it's a great adaptation of the book. I think it's faithful to how the characters act it's very, very campy, very, very silly, and super enjoyable. Sounds good. Uh, um, my number 10 um, is one that you've probably not seen because I feel like it is a very niche thing. Um, it's Studio 666 that was released last, about this before, I it swear. Was released last year. Um, it's basically a Foo Fighters horror film. Um, yes, where, that's the one. For whatever reason, Foo's decided, you know what, we're going to make a horror film. And it's all about them um, in this sort of fictional band called Dream Widow. And they're trying to figure out what to do next. And they go in and they find a satanic ritual in a house where people have been killed. And it's at, like, it's not overly funny. It's definitely not scary. So it's just a kind of mix, mediocre mix of the two. Like B movie. Yeah, but like the deaths in it, like uh, uh, some of the sort of most invented deaths I think I've ever seen in a film like that. Like Rami Jaffe, bless him, the keyboardist of all people, is pulled, is in the bedroom, you know, they're getting it on, and some a chainsaw comes up through the bed and slices them both in half. Oh, like what's, what's not so like about that? That way or that way? Uh, that way. Oh, so straight yeah, down the cranium, straight, nice. straight down the middle, like that. Um, and it is, it is, it's just, it's naff. It, 100%, this is what this is. It's naff, right? Some of the effects are really shonky. The boys, God bless them, can't act for toffee. But you know what they thought? We'll do it and we'll have fun while we do it. We'll, so, we'll fund this movie. We'll have a blast doing it. Yeah. Why not? And that's exactly what they do. Hey, so, Tommy Wiseau does it. Why can't they? Exactly. <laughs> and it is, it's a niche one because I think ultimately, I mean, even the fact that I got to see it in the cinemas was ridiculous. It got like a full <laughs> release and everything. And I went to go and see it at the Audion in like screen five on a Saturday afternoon. So <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, that's my number 10, uh, Studio 666. So back to Holly, number nine. Right, number nine is 58% on the tomato meter. It's from 1999, um, Black from the Past. Okay. Um, it, I I really really love this film. Um, I I didn't see it in '99, but I saw it when I was a teenager. 
um, and and just just thought it was great. It's a Brendan Fraser film, and I just you know he's so charismatic. Um, I think he's a great lead character, especially when it's kind of naive character. Um, the storyline is that uh, his parents, played by Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek, amazing casting of parents, um, think that a nuclear war is happening and they uh, have a nuclear bunker and they go into it and close the door uh, with their baby and think that the world has genuinely ended. Um, and they bring up their child in this bunker um, that have started running out of supplies. Uh, so uh, as uh, they're aging, they send their now uh, grown son uh, up into the what they think is post-apocalyptic world um, to uh, collect supplies that they need. Um, and uh, he realises when he's up there, obviously, that no apocalypse happened and his parents have been living alone in a bunker <laughs> for decades. <laughs> for no reason. Um, and it, 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 sounds, it sounds ridiculous, obviously. It's a, it's a comedy film. It is kind of ridiculous. And there's a lot of fish out of water stuff with Brendan Fraser in the real world now when the only world he knew was the 60s and 70s that his parents have uh, described to him. So he doesn't understand the 90s at all. Um, but it, the thing I really loved about it is the way they handle the idea of the parents having to come to terms with the fact that they've been going mad in this bunker when they could have been just living their lives. There was no reason for them to go into the bunker. And I think in a lesser film, they'd swept that under the carpet, but actually quite a lot of the latter half of the film is the like quite empathetic and interesting idea of how do you break the news to them and how do you allow them to uh, reintegrate into society when they've been away from it for 30 years. Um, that makes the film sound a lot more uh, intellectual than it actually is. It is a silly 90s comedy, essentially. But that bit just stuck with me and I, I really enjoyed it and I, I rate it very highly as, you know, one of these kind of teen comedies that I think is really good. I remember having it on VHS and lending it to my geography teacher when I was in year eight because she liked Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Fraser. Fraser, I do apologize. Say, say our Lord and Saviour's name properly. Brendan Fraser. 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 I'd never heard of that film before. I might need to find it and watch yeah. it. It sounds yeah. adorable. It's a deep dive. Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek are worth it. You had you had me and Brendan Fraser, and then you gave me Christopher Walken as his dad. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just immediately, yes. <laughs> right, Holly, you've got time to eat your lunch because it's going to be me, Ollie, then me and Ollie again before you. So, chow down. <laughs> you have your Thank time. You. <laughs> I'll waffle a bit for you. Don't worry. Um. So my number eight, and uh, possibly Your number nine, nine surely. Oh so, yeah, sorry, my number nine. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, possibly another niche one. Um, two thousand nine, Gamer. Um, now Gamer, starring Gerard Butler. Um, oh, and, and Michael C. Hall. 
Yeah, Dexter. Yeah, I've yeah. Heard of it. So this was this was in the height of me getting into Dexter and me mm. realizing that it was in this film, and I was like, oh my god, I need to go and see this film. So basically, Jared Butler stars as a convict who what they've decided to do, rather than put them on death row or put them in prison, is put them as characters in an online video game where somebody can control them and every movement that they are doing. And if they die, they die. But it doesn't matter because they're convicts. So why would it matter? Um, and it's this sort of meld of dystopian future with some quite decent ac- action in it. But then Michael C. Hall plays a guy called Ken Castle, who is essentially a conglomerate boss type guy and he has the most elaborate set piece towards the end of the film where he and Gerard Butler come face to face and he does a dance to I'll put a spell on you while people are beating Gerard Butler up like it's mental it's absolutely off the wall the only thing I remember is Gerard Butler getting in his head and it's like oh you can you can imagine that knife going into you can't you yeah that's that's how he wins yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) and there's a lot of sort of like um you know, people uh, commentary on who it is that actually plays these games. You know, is it immoral and all that kind of stuff? No, um, that's no. <laughs> as with a lot of um, films on my list, and I kind of pulled this from Wikipedia, receiving generally negative reviews from box office, uh, from critics, and was a box office bomb, grossing forty two million off a budget of fifty million. <laughs> so there's a lot of these where things aren't going very well for them. Um, but I, you know what? I enjoy it for what it is, for a mm. little bit of an action film, an 18 rated action film as well at that point. So it doesn't pull its punches whatsoever. Mm. I really enjoyed it. Ollie, number nine. This is one of my more really shouts. Okay. I think it just caught me at the right time. I don't think it's because it's a sequel and that's, you know, it's one of them diminishing returns, all that. Um, it's Die Hard 4. <laughs> Live free or die hard. Like, I, I'm Got not... list unless always put die hard in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of that, like, I just remember, I like specifically the angle of, he's this old school guy and it's a new threat he's having to face. And I also love me some Timothy Oliphant. You can't go wrong with a bit of Timothy Oliphant. Yeah. It could, yeah, it is a bit bloodless compared to like previous Die Hard. I think it's lacking that. It's a bit sanitized compared to some of the others. Um, but I like, like I said, I do like that idea of, you know, taking John McClane, this old school hero, and putting him in a more modern setting. Like, I, I quite like. Um, the more modern Rambo films as well for a similar, although they don't do quite as much on it's a new world you're dealing with. They're very much, Rambo is very much dealing with the same problems. Whereas John McClane up against hackers. Yeah, it's a bit cliched. It's a bit tired, but I like it. I actually really like Justin Long in it as well. Cause Justin Long is, has this ability to really get under your skin as a performer. <laughs> Um, I get that, but I, I think he's quite endearing in this. I do like him in this. I, I think the action's all pretty damn good. I like the random French parkour guy because, of course, there's a random French parkour guy in the early 2000s. Why would there not be? Um, that I think John McClane refers to as a spider monkey, and he's there, like, flipping and doing all this elaborate stuff, and I think John just nuts him. And it's great. It's a nice little analogy for, yeah, you've got all this fancy stuff going on, but it ain't nothing against... And it's a pretty cool death of the main villain 
uh, which Mary Elizabeth Winstead calls out. It's like you literally shot yourself to shoot him. Like, it's pretty cool, like, because he gets shot in the shoulder, he gets winged. Timothy Oliphant's holding it in his shoulder from beyond like that, so he shoots himself so the bullet goes through him, kills Timothy Oliphant. Nice. Hey, it's just, yeah, it's dumb. I don't think, if you look on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, it won't be well received, but I just, I always remember actually enjoy, I actually enjoy this more than Die Hard 3, which is weird, because Die Hard 3 has got Samuel, how long is it more than 3? I definitely enjoy it more than 2. Come on, not more than a vengeance. Vengeance is fun. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. It probably is my third favourite Die Hard film. Yeah. Like, Vengeance is just silliness. You've got Jeremy Irons putting on an over-the-top German accent and whatever. Um, but yeah, like, it's, it's dumb, but I do really like it. <laughs> so, fits the bell, really, doesn't it? Nice, it does indeed. Uh, right, going into eight. So this is probably the last time I'm going to say this one's a little bit niche, because I think after Oh, my God, you probably won't have heard of this one, guys. Oh, I, 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 it's just my, me and my taste, guys. Um, <laughs> you just don't get it. After this point, they are all pretty well-known, I would say. But I think mm. this one particular, just because, you know, and again, to pull this, grossed $79 million worldwide off a budget of $135 million, one of the worst oh. cinematic losses in history. Um, 2005, Stealth. <laughs> stealth, stealth is stealth is rubbish. Is Let this... me tell you, stealth. Oh my is God. Rubbish. Stealth, I'd forgotten about stealth. Right, up to his name, doesn't it? It does. But the, the <laughs> is thing that Ryan Reynolds, but we're taking him seriously, property as well. No, is he not in it? It's Josh Lucas. Oh my Jamie God, Jamie Fox and Jessica Biel. Oh, Josh Lucas. Thank yeah, you yeah, for yeah. There's a name for you. That household but, name. Like, <laughs> relatively decent actors, right? But trying to make sense out of a plot where basically a fighter pilot with AI inside it has gone rogue. Mm. How are they going to stop it? You know? With a human fighter pilot. Exactly. But uh-huh. maybe it was just a bit ahead of its time. Maybe nowadays, with all this AI stuff, it might have done better than it did do then. But... It's got a really dodgy acronym, which I cannot remember, but it basically spells out Eddie, just so that they can call the AI fighter, fighter, fighter plane Eddie. And they go, oh my God, where's Eddie gone? Eddie's over there, we need to go. And, and it's voiced by Wentworth Miller, doing his best kind of like, I am a serious agent. I am a robot. It's the only voice he can do, Wentworth well, Miller. Well, it's, it's very similar to Alan Tudyk's voice for Sonny in iRobot. He's, he's sort of mimicked that a lot. Quick aside question: Was iRobot well received? Yes. Right. Good. Because I was Nothing. considering putting it on. Was it? I was not? Consi- Wasn't it? I mean, I can't possibly say any more apart from oh, the fact that. Oh no! Not well received. Hang on. Hang on. Because if I ro- oh iRobot should so, be in my list. IMDb gave it seven point one, but Rotten Tomatoes was fifty something. It was certified rotten. Hang on, I'm going on Wikipedia because if this says that it got mixed review, mixed to negative reviews, then it it can be in my list. That's not yeah, because I'm, I'm pretty sure George George is like nodding her head. Mixed somewhat. mixed <laughs> reviews. It got yeah. mixed. I think, he, I think she even suggested I robot go on this, and I would have firmly agree because yes. I love that robot. Yeah. Obviously, it's on my list. I've given myself away. We can have a good discussion of it. Yeah, when let's let's do that. It's, it's, it's great. Like. 
Let's not pull any punches there. Uh, but yeah, stealth, uh, like, stealth is naff, but I quite enjoy it. Uh, yeah. Especially 15-year-old me where I went to go and see it in the cinema. And then as soon as I could get hold of it again, I got hold of it and kept watching it. So, because mm. as well, there's a couple on this list that are around about that time of like 2005-ish. You know, Adam's started going to the cinema of a, of a weekend and he's watched a lot of crap, but he quite likes it. So yeah, there's there's me number eight. There's stealth. Uh, Ollie, number eight. Okay, uh, I'm just changing it now. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I'll just change the list because <laughs> there was one. I'll, I'll talk about what I changed it from as well. Um, so this is a hated film. I don't think it was even. I, it's a, uh, it's a film I just don't think received the love that it deserves, and it's a Disney film. Any suggestions? Oh, you got it's surely it's not Hunchback, is it? Not Hunchback, no, no, no. I think I think that's adequately loved. Is it? Yeah. I think people I think people, especially nowadays, have it like they don't have it on the same tier as Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, okay. um, Aladdin, like that kind of top, top tier. But people recognise, yeah, fantastic story, well realized, a little bit dark for Disney. But yeah, what, what era of Disney are we talking? Um, the bad times. Oh. Oliver and Company? Not Oliver and Company, although that could easily be on there. Um, it is considered fresh. Rescuers Down Under. Not Rescuers Down Under, although that is a good shout. It is Sword in the Stone. Oh, okay. Oh. Sword in the Stone. I think it's adorable. I really, really like Sword in the Stone. I talked about it on the um, um, tier list. So I won't waffle on too long. I think it's massively ahead of its time in terms of how it tells a story. Merlin as a character in particular is a very, very modern kind of omnipotent being who makes, you know, the way he makes references to the future and the way he kind of talks. It's great. Um, The way it kind of gets across the idea that he's teaching Arthur from an early age and the things he's teaching him about. I just, I really like it. It's a nice, comforting film despite the fact that it's starting to suffer those like symptoms of Disney just going down the toilet a bit of having to recycle animation. Like there's the same footage of Kane falling over twice. They reuse a falling over Arthur audio clip at least five times in the film. But it's just, it's cute. And I think it's one that me and Georgia can go back to again and again and again. It's just such easy watching and people don't, have it on that kind of two one kind of bracket and I think it easily is people kind of forget about it which is a real shame so yeah it's all deuce uh Holly number eight um I when I was trying to make the list it was really difficult for me as well like Ollie said like I you know if, if I like it I like it and if I don't I think it's probably a bad film um, so I was speaking to like my sister and my friends and like, oh, what films did we watch when we were little or when we were teenagers? Um, and uh, this one popped up and I thought, yes, definitely. So I was thinking of which rom-coms I've seen, because there are so many horrible, terrible rom-coms, especially from the noughties, like all the Matthew McConaughey before the McConaughey songs. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> terrible. It's um, like them, by the way, Holly. <laughs> Just like... Um, yeah, but I, I I kind of scrubbed them from my mind till they've all kind of merged into one or 
I watched them at a sleepover when I was 13 and I didn't really pay attention. You know, that. Oh, oh. Holly. Holly, no. She may do the really speedy catch up thing in a second. <laughs> at least we hope she will do. Oh, the phone oh. signal's gone. We were so close. So close. Oh. Oh, she's back. There we go. When did you lose me? Did you get the title? No, I think no. you were about to say it. Just like heaven. Okay. Uh, Reese, so Witherspoon. Mark, Reese Witherspoon and Mark Ruffalo. And I think that's probably the reason why I like it. <laughs> George's reaction to Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> oh, I mean, he's, he's ace, isn't he? He's pretty good. Holly is still clearly talking. She's gone again. Way. Yeah, she's gone again. She's gone again. Matt Ruffalo in Collateral, I always forget about. And then you're yeah. looking. Well, you know. There she is. She's back again. Me? We've got you again. I, I, I know what's happening. Virgin oh. Media again. Blooming Virgin Media has put the Wi-Fi back on, but it's gone dodgy. So I'm going to turn my Wi-Fi off and go back to my data. <laughs> this podcasting session today is costing me an absolute arm and a leg, guys. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. That's gone again. Nah. Well, it's because she's disconnected from the Wi-Fi, so it'll take a second for it to kick in. Oh, does it? Yeah. Well, it's not going to instantly seamlessly go over, is it? Maybe it should do. Maybe it should, but it won't. This is a conversation for Richard Branson. It is. Instead of trying to race into space. She's back. I'm so sorry. You're... No, 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 no. Oh dear. Do we kick her out and let her back in? I don't know. I'm joking that Turn work. it off and turn it on again. That's how we do it. Everyone's just like on tenterhooks now. Tell us I more know. about just like I need heaven. to know more about just like heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, Adam. Your your podcast is so slick and I am ruining it. Don't you worry. <laughs> don't you worry yourself. Anyway, uh, the reason why I like just like heaven is because Mark Ruffalo is the GOAT. He is brilliant. Every film he's in, he elevates. Uh, Reese Witherspoon is cute as a button. She's really charismatic as a lead, like as a, 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 a fan of rom-coms. It is difficult to identify with an extremely skinny, extremely model-like, extremely uh, drop-dead beautiful, like Kate Hudson type person in the main lead. Reese Witherspoon is those things. She's very skinny. She's very beautiful. She's very blonde. But she has a, a like girl next door ability that makes you able to uh, uh, identify with her in a way you can't with many other um, actors, I think. Um, there are a couple of other films that I was thinking about putting on this list for the same reason, like How to Lose a Guy with 10 Days. Terrible. Um, but, uh, <laughs> So the, this film is better because of Reese Witherspoon. Um, or oh, 27 dresses, like uh, Catherine Heigl doesn't have this ability. Um, so, yeah, I think the leads elevate this because it is very, very standard rom-com fare. Um, Reese Witherspoon's character seems to be a ghost who is haunting Mark Ruffalo, but then they work out uh, via um, the actor who plays Napoleon Dynamite. John Hedder. John Hedder, yeah. John, John Hedder, who is a supernatural uh, bookstore owner. 
that she's not dead. There's something else going on. She's a spirit of some kind. But oh, don't she know what's going on. any chance. Oh, Ollie, you're amazing. Your ability <laughs> to... How? How did you figure that out? It's amazing. Because I've seen Ghost Dad starring Bill Cosby. <laughs> so, yeah, she's Those in a coma, a and then the film is, like, trying to get her out of the coma, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's very standard fare, but elevated by the two leads. They have lovely chemistry. They are um, sparky and funny and nice to spend an hour and a half with. I enjoy it. Sounds lovely. Because mm. you know what? I nearly made my list, but I went back and it, it got mixed reviews. So I thought that's not quite good enough for crap that I love. The Holiday would have easily have made my list if people just hated it less. I hate it enough. Oh, it's, it's good. I the Holiday. No. Adam, if only we'll have an opportunity to talk more about it later. Oh. Um, if only. Right. Well, I forgot where I'm up to. Oh, is it me now? Is it's it? Oh, seven. no, it's you. It's you now for your number seven, Oliver. Um, I might need feedback because, Holly, I have literally plagiarised. The film I had here was Rocky Horror. But I was really reluctant to put Rocky Horror on because I think it is now so accepted into the cultural zeitgeist as just being good. That it doesn't really count as like, you know, crap that you love. I think people just yeah. kind of love it. I don't think it quite counts. So I was, I was really reluctant to put it on in the first place. So I've switched it out for iRobot. <laughs> I've switched it out for iRobot. Um, iRobot's my number seven as well. So we can just do oh, them is it? Oh, right, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Winner, winner. Well, yeah, as soon as you said it there, and I'm annoyed with myself, because like I said, Georgia suggested it as a film. And I was like, no, surely that was well-received. Apparently not. And how is it not well-received? It's great. It's, it's such, such a good, good film. film. <laughs> I, I really love it. It's the start of people recognising just how damn good Alan Tudyk is. Yeah. you Like, if you've got Alan Tudyk attached... I am all for it. Like, are you a Firefly fan? I need to watch it. I know I need to watch it because I know it'd be right up my street. I've seen Serenity. I've not seen Firefly, and I think part of it is like, well, Josh Whedon, but who cares? Nathan Fillion, um, Marina Bakarin. Yeah, what's um, Lawrence Fishburne's wife called? Gina Torres. Mm -hmm. Gina Torres. She's excellent. Um, and obviously Alan Tudor. But yeah, everybody in the, the only, is it, uh, God, I've forgotten her name, the main woman in this. Calvin. Cal- yeah. The actress who plays Calvin. Uh, yeah, Bridget Cal- Moynihan. Bridget Moynihan, that's it. She's a little bit, but at least they don't force a romance. They hint at it, but they don't force it. Yeah. I really uh, like that, yeah. Yeah, I like... I like the decision to make the robots uncanny, the NS5s. That I think that's actually quite smart because it adds into that distrust that Spooner has for them. Mm-hmm. Chi McBride as his commanding officer, I love. Oh, yeah. I love what a Chi character he is. Yeah, I love, I love when he's in his office and he just kind of really pulls out a shotgun and just yeah. blasts yeah. one of them. It's great. That's I remember the hype. In the whole film. And I remember, yeah, I remember the hype coming into it as well quite a bit because at the time my dad worked for Audi. 
And obviously he was quite um, excited about, you know, the RSQ and this concept car that they had. They actually built a working model. The, all the shots where you see it like slowly rolling along and then coming to a stop, that's a real working car. Um, so that was quite cool to see. It was a really good set piece, you know, where they're all jumping on him and he's like spinning it round and round. Um, it was a great reveal when, it, you know, his left arm yeah. is robotic. That was great. Um yeah, it's just really, really clever. It's a good, heartfelt performance from Will Smith as well. Like he he puts his effort into it. So yeah, I, I, uh, love I remember that, that when um in one in the opening scene where he puts them Converse on and he's yeah. like vintage two thousand and four Converse. Yeah, it's like ah, <laughs> see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. But I, and I love that exchange as well. It's like can a robot paint a beautiful picture? Can a robot write a symphony? And Sonny just comes back at him with, can you? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Go on, Sonny. It's what a, a good boy. Film. Mm, it is an unironically good film, and it yeah. wasn't. Yeah. And the way it incorporates Asimov's laws in there is quite interesting as well. And yeah, yeah. great film. I, great. I, I think it got, uh, for the critics who didn't like it, I think the issue was that it's not, it, it, it's not as good as Asimov. It's not as deep. It's not as as um it, it doesn't leave you thinking as you leave the cinema it leaves you going woo, that was really good um but i'm happy with that we mm. need more woo you know I, I a good action film that uh has kind of breathless set pieces little bit of a twist maybe you saw it come in maybe you didn't um i yes yeah, i i got nothing bad to say about irobot thoroughly enjoy it yeah i don't think there's anything wrong with entry level there's nothing wrong with entry level uh stuff into stuff like asimov and <laughs> georgia has typed i don't go to the cinema to think which i think is a fair comment like it is the fact yeah. that like some people are going to want some kind of cerebral thing that they take away and mm -hmm. they ruminate on and stuff like that and fine and there are films for people who want to do that but at the end of the day most people want to be entertained and iRobot is still a, it's a smart action film. And I don't think films yeah. like that, I'm going to talk about that with my number four. And I think I've talked about it a bit before, but I don't think smart action films that are that kind of, woo, with a hint of, hmm, get the credit they deserve. No, and they this don't. Is definitely You're right. 100%. Yeah. Uh, just like one little thing about iRobot I want to add. I quite like how it subverts our expectations a little bit with the bad guy in that, yes, there are lots of, uh, sci-fi action films where technology turns on us like uh, Terminator and things like that but that seems to go hand in hand with the company that makes that technology mm. um, or it, I don't know like uh, Alien as well has Alien sorry has that a little bit as well but I like how it really strongly sets up that it's you know a uh, billionaire businessman is bad which is a very strong theme in many of these films as well. And mm. then and then twist it a tiny bit, like, oh, we we started something we can't control rather than we're just plain old evil. Um it's more of a capitalist narrative. And I like maybe, to those but... films as well. It's quite nurture the the evil is quite nurturing. Yes. It isn't looking to take over the world. Like, and, and a lot of things have played with this for a long time. Like, you know, the Japanese have been playing with stuff like this for years. Like in Metal Gear Solid 2, it does exactly this. But like yeah. Western audiences won't have necessarily seen that AI that is coming from a place of benevolence, but is like, well, you're 
you're terrible. You keep killing each other. You keep doing this. You keep doing that. We we want to save you, so we're going to save you from yourselves, which is something Terminator doesn't do. Terminator's like, no, I'll kill him. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Or the and, Matrix. Harvest yeah, them. Yeah, harvest them, kill them. Like, yeah, yeah they're no yeah. good. Whereas this is like, no, we're going to look after you, but shut up. <laughs> um, my number seven, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering... Were this is if this is going to end up anywhere else because I feel like this is one of the quintessential ones of like everyone knows it's naff, but I feel like quite a lot of people like it, especially for you, Ollie, mm. with some of the other podcasts that we've done. Okay, okay, 1998 Godzilla. I've not got it on, <sighs> yeah, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Yeah, it was, I knew it was I on my long list. Yeah, I wanted. I thought about having an Emmerich film in there, like between Stargate, Independence Day, or this. Yeah, it was just pure nostalgia because I have gone back to watch them, and it is a bit like, nah. Oh, it's, but, it's but I do get why people would still hold that. Like they'd be able to keep onto that nostalgia a bit longer. There's so much, I remember because obviously watching it when it came out when I was a kid and all that kind of stuff and enjoying so much about it then. Like, I had the CD single of Jamiroquai Deeper Underground. Like, that was like how sort <laughs> yeah. of far I fell into that. Um, but then the sort of the bit where he rises up, uh, Godzilla rises up out of the, the water for the first time and it's just like a, a huge yeah, chasing sort of the whole man the down the pier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was like a, that was a teaser trailer, you know, mm-hmm. and all that was in there. Um, I quite like Matthew Broderick, you know, kill me for liking an actor. I think he's pretty good. Um, yeah, Jean Reno as the sort of yeah, I love Jean Reno. <laughs> no, like French. And um, they had a really funny criticism of this film, which was basically, look, if you're gonna have us in a monster film, why didn't you at least just have us get eaten? <laughs> like, got a point. Yeah, why would you not have us get eaten? Because they did, they, they, it, he was literally Mayor Ebert. I know now you've said it, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's literally Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, as a kid, I obviously loved this film, but it's because I watched this before Jurassic Park. And then you yeah. see Jurassic Park, and it's like, Jesus, it really tried to rip off of this a lot, didn't it? Well, that's where I was wondering maybe where it fell for you. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate it. I, I just don't love it. I would. It, it wasn't going to make it on my... I did think about stuff like that. I think Independence Day would have been more likely to make it. Okay. Because there's stuff that, like, Will Smith is genuinely great in it. Jeff Goldblum is beautifully silly. I love just how Jewish they made Jewish. Like, he says every Jewish slang word that yeah. you could possibly say. Yeah. And it's fine, because whatever reason. And you've got Boomer, the doggo. What about Boomer? Yeah, whatever. Bill Pullman does give a very rousing speech, but yeah, like I think the marketing for this film was unreal. Mm. It really suckered you in. Like he's a, you know, his foot's as big as this boss. Yeah. Just that shot of the wave, like you said, coming in. But then actually, the controversy being is quite tiny compared to how he should be. Yeah, he's very small. And yeah. he's an igua- and he's an iguana and he doesn't have radioactive breath. And yeah, yeah. And it's weird, like it wants you to treat him like a movie villain, but then it makes you feel really sorry for him. Because she's pregnant. Not even then, like it's quite tragic when he gets caught up in the Brooklyn Bridge and he just gets hammered and he's like making really pain noises. And you can't beat him, you know, to stop Papa Lepidopolis. 
It's the top of this. Yeah, that's a f- really funny joke. I'm I love the way to sort of bait him out. We're just going to put a lot of fish in the middle of the city, and it's going to come And it works twice. It works twice. <laughs> just, uh, and it's like the, the creature is dying, and it's making all these sad noises, yeah. and Nick clearly looks sad that the creature's dying. And then yeah. the kid, and then it dies. It's like, oh, I feel really sad. And then everyone's just like, "Woo!" We killed it. Yeah, oh, I thought we, I thought we were meant to feel sorry for this thing. What are you doing? Normal okay. Madison Square Garden. We killed it. Hey. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So Godzilla, my number seven. Um, Holly, you number six. Yes. So this one's from two thousand and four. I haven't been keeping up which with which ones were. Bride and Prejudice was 2004, and iRobot was 2004 as well. Um, so this one is at 43% on the tomato meter, and it's The Village. Oh, no. I really like The Village. No, I'm not, you know what? <laughs> I'm not, not going to apologize. <laughs> not going to apologize for it. No, I thought it was like people. <laughs> I thought it was creepy. I liked the idea of the blind girl having to get through the woods. Yeah, I like I like, I, I like the idea that it's a cult and the parents are just terrible, terrible, terrible people, yeah. um, which seemed outlandish, but then you see a lot of the things that, you know, happen within cults and happen in the US and happen within some... Uh, particular religions that I will not explain about um, mm. where they want to be living in the past and they want to control children's behaviour. Um, and you think, actually, it's not that far away. I think probably the least, um, well, the, the most surprising thing is that they would break cover to save the life of one of their own. Mm. I'd be more surprised if the elders of the village um, no, I, I'd be less surprised if the elders of the village said, yeah, we know the medicine who can cure him, but meh. Yeah. It's a, um, you're right, the, concept, the concept's really good. I think if any I, director other than Shyamalan had done it, it would be it a great is, film. It is definitely a bad film. I understand mm-hmm. that. It's the point of the list, concept, I get it, yeah. I, I love high concept. I really love high concept. And I just, the concept was good enough for me mm-hmm. that it saw me through. There were some very problematic things in it surrounding like Adrian Brody's character, like 100%. Is it Adrian Brody? Am I getting yeah, it right? It is, the character yeah. of Noah. Um, I don't like that depiction. Um, but yeah, I, there, was a, there was enough there to, to keep me interested. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm not going to apologize. No, don't. Don't you apologise. <laughs> right, my number six, uh, 2005, in the midst of all the mediocre superhero films that came around. Oh. Fantastic Four. Oh, okay, I've got the wrong one. Oh, no, I, I really like the original Fantastic Four. Uh, it's the Chris Evans, Ewan Grufford, uh, Jessica Alba, and M- Michael... McMahon. No, the oh, Michael Chiklis, Julia McMahon, yeah. It is naff because the CGI is naff, the story is naff, the acting's not particularly great. Mm. It, it's got that sort of weird bright wash that like Amazing Spider-Man 2 went to have. 
Yeah. Where everything looks hyper bright, as if you watch, you've walked into a, like a an electronic store and they're trying to sell you a TV. Yeah. Oh, look at look, you know, look at how bright this is. But it had a fantastic soundtrack. Um, no apologies. Exactly. <laughs> but like, even to the point of like, Alter Bridge are on that soundtrack. Are they? Yeah, Shed My Skin is on that soundtrack. And that's how that play in the film. And not a clue, but then that's how I got into Autobridge because I bought the CD, I bought the album. I have the soundtrack Uh album. And I was like, let's listen to more of the. I've got, I've still got on my iTunes, I've still got TIFF, the Simple Plan song that's in there. Uh, Obviously, the Autobridge one. I've got Ryan Cabrera twice, Megan McCauley. Like, I like just all from this. All from this, and then the the one the peak, everything burns. Ben Moody and Anastasia, what mm. a song! What a song! Just I remember yeah. someone pointing out with this film, they don't do anything. No, they don't. Like the only time they save people, it's because of a massive accident on the bridge that one of them at least caused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, they're rubbish. So yeah, that is in that sense, it's not a great superhero movie because they don't save anyone that wasn't already in danger because of them. Um, the thing effects are great though. Yeah, yeah. You don't get stuff like that anymore. You don't get like, like that's as accurate a thing as we're ever going to get because yeah. everything since is going to be like you saw it in Fant Four Stick. Yeah, let's some just weird, make it clear. This yeah, is Fantastic Four Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, Chicklist was like Chicklist was really good in it. I loved his performance. Is Jennifer Hud- is it Jennifer Hudson? Isn't it as well? No, uh, it's Kerry Washington. Kerry Washington, sorry. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. It is because I remember. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's a nice little touch. Yeah. In there that, as well. It's a nice little subplot of him having like a blind love interest, and she yeah. you know, sort of falls in to love, in love with him, but then yeah. Yeah, and like they kept on getting Jessica Alba naked in it, and like yeah, yeah, it's really sort of tropey of that time of yeah. You know, she, 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 she's and... repeatedly annoyed with Reed because he's like, oh my god, that's incredible, and she thinks he's you know sexualizing her when in fact yeah. he's talking about the material she's wearing. And then she's really disappointed that she that he's not viewing her as some sex object. Like, I'm really annoyed that you're her. objectifying me, but at the same yeah, time, I'm annoyed that you're not objectifying me. me. I'm Jessica Alba, that's all I'm good for. What's <laughs> 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 something? I don't know. Like, oh, dear. So, yeah, there's my number six. Fantastic Four. Yeah, I get that. It is naff, but go on. Oliver, number six. I don't know if this one counts, oh. but this because it's. I think the audiences have loved it. Right, very recent film. I think audiences have loved it, but as as far as I'm concerned, it is the very definition of it's crap. But I loved it. Super Mario Brothers. That's in this year. Yep. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it isn't a good yeah. film. It isn't a good film. It's cliched. We've seen everything in it a million times before. It's it, it, it takes some liberties with the source material. Like it isn't a good film. It is a dumb animated cheesy film to put on for your kids to get them to shut up for the better part of an hour and a half. They don't. And even I love that. Yeah, like you know, like you know, if you're gonna be unfair and compare it to like peak Disney. You know, like Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. It's got absolutely nothing on any of those. Yeah. I don't care. 
it's it's great it's just a dumb kids film that does exactly what like it didn't promise to be particularly deep it didn't promise to be this groundbreaking film it promised to be super mario brothers the movie chris pratt pleasantly surprised i remember hating his casting when it was first announced and yeah. i was quite positive on everyone else i thought charlie day as luigi yeah that really works Anna Taylor-Joy as Peach. Yeah, I, I understand that. I think that makes sense. Jack Black. Uh, nah, don't need to say anything more. Actually, Peaches, actually, Peaches, Peaches, Peaches. Ruby, come here. Ruby! She's just walked past and, and she, it's because she's heard Mario and Luigi. Ruby, Ruby, let's come move on Mario. You like Mario, don't you? Yes, girl. Ollie likes Mario. Yes. Can we go to the post office? We're going to go to the post office when we spoke about five more films. Okay. What did you watch yesterday? Tell everyone what you watched yesterday. She watched Barbie yesterday. Oh, I hate you because I really want to go and see Barbenheimer. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going watching Barbie tomorrow now. All <laughs> <laughs> right, go on. About half an hour, if not longer, because Ollie talks too much. Bye, Ruby. I know. Bye. <laughs> so yeah, there's not much else. I mean, it's one of those. I know it's a weird one to include because audiences have universally kind of loved it, but it is a bad film. Yeah, I think like the it's very mediocre across the board in terms yeah. of the ratings that it got, and I think like critics was very sniffy around it because yeah, it didn't and, necessarily do anything new. But... Yeah, but I think it it did exactly what if you're going into that film expecting anything groundbreaking, you're stupid. If you're going into that film expecting a good bit of just harmless fun that pays beautiful homage to the film, gets it's nice. Because I remember being like, ah, with all the musical cues that they managed to get mm. in there. Yeah, does exactly what you needed it to do, uh, even though it is just a very meh kind of film. Yeah. So, yeah. Super Mario Brothers. Um, right. My number five Disney film. Ooh. Live action Disney film. It takes one of my favorite actors and one of my favorite writer directors, merges them together in something that everybody apparently hated, but I quite like. Cinderella? Blubber. How can you I not like Flubber? I've not thought about Flubber in so long. Oh my How god. Can you not like Flubber? I think the last time I thought about Flubber was when we talked about Robin Williams years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Main criticism. I, love, I loved Flubber as a kid, you know. I yeah. loved Flubber as a kid. Main criticism was that it focused too much on special effects and squandered the talents of the cast and the crew, which I can see because of all the sort of web or Weibo stuff that was going around. Do not say her name. I do apologize. And it's sorry, it's too soon. It's too um, much. I can't think about Weibo. It's one of the, one of the saddest moments in a kids' film I remember. But again, the anthropomorphized screen and flappy wings. Yeah. Like, everything by her. I like the cartoon references on it there and everything. She was great. She was just um, riffing off Robin Williams. Loved Flubber. I remember, again, we, we spoke about this a lot on the Disney one, the sort of Happy Meal tie-in. You mm. could get, like, gunk 
on like slime that was in I the little the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the toy car, like Weebo would flip over on the bonnet every now and then. Yes, loved it. Absolutely mm. love Flubber. I think it's great. I've watched it again quite recently. Um, and I, to be fair, to me, it's still I, I still find it funny. Like Robin Williams just like making different versions of Flubber, soaking it in a golf ball and chucking it at someone, and then the golf ball bounces. You wait twenty minutes and it hits them on the head again. It's just it's slapstick. It's fun. Ted, no? what, God, what's who the hell? Ted Levine. Ted Levine. Clancy Brown. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Will Wheaton's in there. Christ- Christopher McDonald. Yeah, Marsha Gay Harden. Marsha Gay Harden. Yeah, yeah. Do you, remember, I rem- do you remember as a kid thinking she was just the worst? And then when yes. you get older, realising she has put up with a lot. <laughs> put up with some crap here. <laughs> yeah, she's been down the aisle like five times with this guy and she's finally said, you know what, I'm sick of this. Yeah, yeah. And even when they get married, he's still in the lab. yeah. And he's late, and then they fly away. Uh, they're flying at the height of a jumbo jet, so they'd be dead. <laughs> well, the definition of growing up is starting to realise that characters we thought were assholes as a child are actually completely justified. Oh, yeah, Triton in The Little Mermaid. You know your place, young lady. You are 16 years old. You will listen to your father. <laughs> Sally Field and Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah, oh I'd be annoyed too if I went The whole time! The whole time! <laughs> but yes, Flubber. Man and Flubber, shout that to be fair. What a film. What a film. Oh, right, who's next? Oliver, number five. Okay, Holly, we are back on the Bond films. Any suggestions? Oh, God. Uh, is it another uh, late in the run? Film. Technically. <laughs> Question of sport. Is it Sean Connery? Nope. Oh, Roger Moore. Nope. Oh, oh it's definitely okay. Living Daylight. No, but I do I could have had Living Daylights here easily. It's, that is a fantastic film. It's gotta be a Brosnan. It's gotta be like not yeah, a Brosnan. Is it not? not a... Is it a Craig? Nope. Oh. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. On Her Majesty's oh. Secret Service. The cheek of people to hate on this film because it's not Sean Connery. It's a damn good film. It's unironically a damn good film. Like, it has had a bit of revisionism recently, so it probably doesn't count in this list, but I don't care. Like, everyone who know, like, people who know a little bit about James Bond and haven't watched it, like, watched it when they were growing up and stuff, remember this one as the one that's bad because it ain't Connery and it's George Lazenby. And fine, he is kind of limited as an actor because he is a model at the end of the day. I don't think he had, he really didn't have any other acting gigs after this. Certainly not anything, anything like as recognisable as being Bond because he kind of screwed it as well because he reneged on his contract um, because he thought, oh, I'm James Bond. They can't get rid of me now. And they were like, yeah, we can. Um, but yeah, it's an unironically great film. It's a really tight plot. Um, it's one of the first like female characters in a Bond film you can remember that really has their own agency played masterfully by Diana Rigg and you think no wonder Bond wanted to marry this one because she is an absolute queen um the plot is quite like the plot I remember the time I was watching it at first it was quite relevant because it was all about um working on like a virus 
and you know using that as the threat. Telly Savalas as Blofeld is really, really menacing because he's actually got the physical presence to back it up. Whereas all the other blow, I get why you don't necessarily want this, but this is a Blofeld that actually gets into a fist fight with Bond. It's really tight action. You've got a Bond that you can believe would be able to do it because he's a model, so he's in like pretty good shape. Um, it's quite tense action as well because he doesn't have much by way of gadgets, so it is about him using his smarts. Like there's a really good bit where he's trying to um, get out of, like he's locked in basically like a ski lift mechanism and he tries to grab onto it and he realizes he can't he's not with the grip so he pulls his pockets out and uses them as little mitts and stuff like that and he's hiding and you see because james bond you're used to seeing him just being in control all the time whereas this james bond there's a scene where he's like hiding out in a little village and he's vulnerable it's just, it's a great film. And if it had been a Connery film, we'd be talking about it genuinely as one of his best. It genuinely is like a top, top tier Bond film. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Holly, number five. So I was really annoyed that I didn't think of um, Deep Blue Sea for my list. <laughs> I, I hopefully make up for it with this film, which is almost the exact same film, which is The Meg. I've not seen The Meg, to be fair. I reckon it would make it based on what I've heard. The Meg is brilliant. It's only at 46% on Rotten Tomatoes. But it's, it's another one of those films where absolutely everyone understood the assignment. We're making a big, dumb shark film. Everyone mm. on board? Yes, yeah, let's do it. It's funny, uh, it's, it's uh, sparky, but there's not great dialogue. Obviously, the dialogue is terrible. But everyone is giving it their all. Um, Jason Statham, I really enjoy. Um, it's not a comedic role for him, but there are just a few moments where he does put a tiny bit of comedy into it. Um, he do, it's not a very physical role, but he has charisma in it, um, you, you believe. Um, that he's a, a marine biologist, which is a difficult thing to believe. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the support cast just knew exactly where, why they were there. Rain Wilson, as the bad guy, uh, is as slimy, sniveling, and awful as you would expect. Uh, when the giant shark eats him in a helicopter, you are uh, very, very happy that it has done so. Um, the dog survives. That's a very important thing in all action films. Um, the the uh, central kind of love story is rubbish, but it doesn't matter at all. Um, there's there's one moment in it where I, I just, it's such a small, silly moment, but I just really appreciated it. There's um, uh, a moment where a female engineer on the rig they're, that they're at um, is explaining something and uh, Jason Statham's character has just arrived at the rig um, and he he turns around and says oh like uh, are you in charge um, and she gets all kind of you can see on her face she's ready for this like big dumb bloke to be misogynistic towards her so she gets all defensive and says yeah and he's like oh thank god at least someone knows what they're doing and just like little moments like that 
seem to me to be like a nod and a wink to older action films and everyone on the production of this one going you know we're making a big um old-fashioned action film but we have moved forward a bit these are just a couple of little winks to the fact that we've moved forward a bit but we're still making this old-fashioned type film i i really liked it i i'll watch it again soon i think um because the second one's come out and I'll, I'll probably watch that. I'm sure the second one will be garbage. Um, yeah. But that doesn't matter. Um, my, yeah. my only misgiving with it is that it has a bunch of students saying to me, oh, so do you think Megalodon could still exist? I'm like, no, it can't. <laughs> oh, and I could bore you with the reasons why it can't if you really want me to. But the fact is, no. The short answer is no. It could not be alive today. Just but, don't worry. Ollie, underwater trenches. Oh we'd, dear. See, we'd see them. <laughs> but Ollie, there's a there's a, a nitrogen uh, person over the top of the trench, which oh. looks like the ocean floor. Ollie, oh, what are they eating? <laughs> All the other things that are in the trench with them, like giant squids, <laughs> Ollie. All the giant things that they would need to sustain. There are answers to all of these questions. You just need to watch the film. Oh, God. Oh, dear. It's really good. It's big. It's dumb. Everyone understood what they were doing. I think I'd love the Meg. Kind of everyone takes it like, yeah, everyone takes it like sillily seriously. Hmm. So I remember Uh, watching giant, giant shark, no, mega shark versus giant octopus which is absolutely just a B film. And I remember, like, it was, I didn't love it, but there was one point that made me laugh out loud. There's, like, a jumbo jet going over, and there's this guy who's, like, really nervous, and he mentions he's on his honeymoon, you know, as you do when you're feeling nervous on the plane. Yeah. Because there's a bit of turbulence, and he's, ah, child. Yeah. Um, but he's like, okay, he's like, oh, what is that? Oh, it's just a bit of turbulence, sir. I said, now, okay, we're on our honeymoon. All right, then. And then he, like, does a really bad take of, oh, my God, what is that? And it shows a shot out of the window, and the shark shark has leapt out of the ocean 35,000 feet into the air, knocked on the plane and brought it down. And I just remember creasing with laughter at that specific moment. And I'm thinking the Meg is basically going to be that the entire film. So therefore, yeah. yes. It, I guess it could be dumber and sillier. It could, it's not Sharknado. Mm. That's more like Sharknado, I think. Yeah, possibly. But... <laughs> so it, it, it's very deep blue sea-esque. I think you would enjoy it. I think you should give it a go. Like sharks. <laughs> feel a bit upset that I've not got a shark film on my list. Ooh, you don't no. understand crap films, Adam. No, I've not done it right. Have that out, Adam. Sort no, it out. I've not done it. Um, you do have a giant monster film. You had Godzilla. I have Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah. We've got sharks and you've got an iguana. I've got an iguana. <laughs> we'll do it for the pets. All the animals. <laughs> pets. Yeah. Um, right, Ollie, number four. Uh, hinted at it before, the idea of smart action films. And I've talked about a bunch of them before, but the problem is a lot of them are beloved. So like Robocop, Total Recall, um, The Matrix as well. 
this one I think has kind of been slept on and I think it's way more relevant today than it ever was at the time it was released and it's Demolition Man okay Demolition Man because you've got like the main you've got two main villains that are kind of indicative it's one way to look at it. It's not the way to look at it, admittedly. But both the main villains in this are kind of everything that is wrong with social media. Because on the one hand of negative social media, you've got these people just going out to cause upset for no good reason. And that's your Wesley Snipes. He's just a complete anarchist. He's a monster. On the other hand, you've got Nigel Hawthorne playing this guy who wants it specifically set a certain way and you cannot say anything out of turn and everything like and there is like there's a danger that you fall into this of being you know being one of those people that's like oh you can't even call men men anymore and that's the Sylvester Stallone character but he never goes out of his way to like offend anybody or anything like that and he does acclimatize slowly to the world he's in and he's the one that gets people to try and find that happy medium between absolute order and absolute chaos because you can't exist in either of those and in between that you've got this really imaginative action film and there's that really funny moment where phoenix who's played by wesley snipes realizes that the cops around there are completely ill-equipped to deal with him and like they don't even have guns so he goes to the museum in order to get guns and stuff like that but they cannot deal with him and the police are really funny and like just the way that like they have the franchise war, so every single restaurant is now Taco Bell. Yeah. Because that's the only restaurant that survived. And then he's like, oh, just so you know, you're out of toilet paper. You only have three seashells. And Rob Schneider's like, he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. <laughs> and like to like to understand how deep cut that reference is, Sandra Bullock was asked at the premiere of Gravity what the deal was with the three seashells. Jesus Christ. Because it's never been adequately explained. I just think it's a really good example of a clever action movie. But I think this one kind of flew under compared to those other ones I named. Because everybody, I think now Robocop is generally accepted as, yeah, just a fantastic film. Um, to the point where it's had that remake, which wasn't very good. Um, Total Recall, same deal. You know, a lot of those... Um, action movies back then that gave you that little bit more cerebral thing to think about. And this, I think because it was ahead of its time, whereas they had something that was relatable at the time, this parallel, whether it was definitely accidental because social media as a concept wasn't a thing, mm. but the way you can relate that to social media now, it's brilliant. And it's just a fun film, despite its harmful story. Like he, he knocks out Sandra Bullock so that she doesn't go and help him in the final fight because he's got to do it mano a mano. Yeah, fine. Even though she's like literally just proved herself worthy of it. And there's a bit where she like really casually asks him, I was wondering if you'd like to have sex. And he's like, yeah, okay, sure. And they both put helmets on and it's simulated sex. Because oh, sexual true. intercourse isn't allowed, and you've got to, if you want to have a baby, it's got to go through a building and it's artificial insemination. And yeah, like it's well, just, it's hilarious seeing, like, it's a really fun fish out of water in that he hates every second of it and he mocks it wherever he can. But yeah, I love yeah. Demolition Man. Nice. Uh, Holly, number four. 
this is the film that I love the most on the list because rather than how much I like it, I've put how bad it is on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so uh, it's from 1998. It's called Practical Magic. And it's only at 23% on the tomato meter, which is an absolute crime. I will go to bat for this film any day of the week. It's as if the director and the writer went into my brain as an 11-year-old girl, said, what does she like? And pulled it out and made a film. It's about two sisters who are witches. And it's a love story, but then it's also how the power of sisterhood saves the day. It's like Frozen before Frozen. It's got it's, Nicole Kidman in it. and It's Nicole Kidman, Kidman and Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock. Um, and then their um, aunts, like, raise them, and their um, uh, Stockard aunts. Channing and <laughs> someone else who I can't remember. Um, but it, it's just great. I just love it. I was reading the reviews to try and work out why other people hate it. And I get it. So they've said that it's like tonally all over the place because it's got all this kind of, uh, you know, girl power, sisterhood thing. Then it's got this supernatural thing. Uh, it's about being kind of bullied in your town. There's a bit of Beauty and the Beast there, which I like as well, because the girls are genuinely witches. Um, but the people in the town kind of, kind of think they're witches but because it's set in an, the normal way um that comes out as they're just weird hermit women and they just get bullied um by the townspeople um and then it becomes this kind of thriller where nicole kidman's ex-boyfriend gets murdered um and because they're witches and they don't want to be blamed for the murder it was self-defense they're killing but they don't want to get blamed for the murder, so they bring him back to life. But when he comes back to life, he's really evil, so they have to kill him again and bury him in the garden. But because they used magic, he's, he's not really dead the second time. It's, the plot is, I guess, all over the place. Um, but it's, it's absolutely everything 11-year-old me liked. You know, there are dream catchers, Tick. There are candles, pick. There's sisterhood, pick. There's a, Just you there's identifying a... with witches because you're a true feminist. <laughs> I, I was, a, from the ages of about 10 to 15, I genuinely thought I was a witch. <laughs> because I society to... conditioned you to think that. You're free thinking. <laughs> <laughs> if there was a witch, uh, a, a dream catcher in a in a 20 mile parameter I knew where it was and I wanted to buy it it was on my Christmas list <laughs> and I yeah it, 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 it's just a great film there is a spell that Sandra Bullock uh creates at the beginning of the film where she sees that her aunt it's like every generation there are two women who uh the same kind of fate happens to them there's a curse in the family and uh, uh, when they fall in love, something terrible happens to the man they fall in love with um, because of something that happens in the witch trials, blah, blah, blah. Big, long story. Um, so she makes a spell uh, to fall in love with this impossible man so that she'll never fall in love, so that this curse will never happen to her. So she makes this spell where, you know, she'll only fall in love with a man who has one blue eye and one brown eye. And he can ride a horse backwards and he can 
make uh, uh, trees fly in the air and all this stuff that makes no sense. It's a bit like Macbeth with the, you know, when Burnham Wood comes to Dunstanane Castle and she thinks, oh, I'm safe now because I've made this spell. And then the bloke arrives and you're like, oh my God. I, I just I love, love the idea film. that you are, you are, I'm not saying you have done this, but the idea that you're in a heated debate defending this critically panned hair, uh, film to the hill and you make the comparison to Macbeth. <laughs> I can Any absolutely see that being thing. Of the week. Macbeth, <laughs> Beauty and the Beast, like every, <laughs> every classic can be found in Practical Magic, Ollie. <laughs> um, but I loved, I loved this spell so much that I did my own version and like stood in the garden with all of the the components to the spell and like properly thought that I was like the shit. Did you fit the bell? Uh, no. <laughs> Both of his eyes are the same color. Ah, uh, amateur. <laughs> That can be fixed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that lenses for Christmas. Yes. So. Oh. <laughs> um, okay. It's a great film. I don't know why people hate it. 23%? That's rough. That's really oh, rough. It's a rough. good film. Um. Well, my number four also has Nicole Kidman in it. Um. My number four was released in 1995. That's 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb. It's Batman Forever. Now, come on, Ollie. Ooh. Batman Forever. What, mm. What's the main spot? It's a great film. Oh, it is. It is. Come on. Come on. Come on. Jim Carrey's the Val Kil- The Val Kilmer was a weird one. Yeah, and... like, you know, there's stuff in it, obviously, that doesn't work. This is the one that people forget in terms of... Um, this is where the bat nipples appeared for the first time. Oh, it is where, the, it is where we got bat nipples. Yeah. It's where we got... A psychologist, as written by a, a flamboyantly homosexual man. <laughs> yes, she is the horniest character I have ever seen in any film. It's you just mad. that man in a suit, Chase Meridian. <laughs> Chase Meridian. Um, but like Jim Carrey as the Riddler is absolutely superb, even to the point of like, I'll allow Tommy Lee Jones as Harvey Dent. But then it gets a little bit better when you know that they just hated each other on set. That wasn't even a thing. Jim Carrey didn't hate him. I think it was oh, just no, some... it was all Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, it was all Tommy Lee Jones. in a restaurant and Tommy Lee Jones drags him to one side and yeah. says, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. And then just leaves him. But like, the thing I'm more intrigued about now is this director's cut that's apparently in the ether that Kevin Smith no. has been showing people. Like, I would watch that. I mean, what? I think I watched it because, like, I loved Batman. I could have had Batman and Robin on here, except I hate it now. But um, how would you got on board with me forever? But then you would have had Batman and Robin. No, because I remember loving it as a kid, and then by this, because my mum, I've told you before, my mum was like, "Right, you're watching an actual Batman film," and then made me watch Batman '89. I was like, "Yes, this is Batman." She wouldn't let me watch Batman Returns. Yeah, it's probably worried about what Michelle Pfeiffer would do to me. But um and also what Danny DeVito would do to me as well, to be honest. Oh. With. But um I remember seeing Forever and it was it was probably at the wrong moment for me where it was a bit like 
you know, I'm a bit, I'm a teenager. I'm a bit too cool for school. This was when I didn't like Disney. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I probably just saw it at the wrong time. But I agree with the Jim Carrey shout. I do love him in this. I think Harvey Dent is horrifically realised. It is. It's just, it's the Joker. That's not Har- who we yeah. see on screen. There is not Harvey Dent. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand why they went. I, I kind of do with the sort of image of it, but the they they went full purple, and it was like I don't mind the full suit or anything like that. It's just he could have been like a like Burton would have done a really good Harvey Dent. It would have been Billy really D. tragic. It would have been, been Billy D. as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It would have been like a really tragic villain. Yeah. Who was kind of played by his met like in like we saw in the Kevin Conroy animated show, whereas in it, he was just a Joker clone, and it's like yeah. no, we've had this. Yeah. We don't need we don't need someone like, we don't need jo- Tommy Lee Jones doing his best Jack Nicholson impression. <laughs> like, well, well, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's really like again, it. it is nice and ahead of its time as well. When you look at the villain's plot, he isn't trying to take over the world; he's trying to be Mark Zuckerberg, which is quite yes. fun. Yeah, I do like that. Yeah. John Favreau uh, has a cameo in it as well. It's one of his earliest roles. Oh. He's one of the guys walking in with Bruce Wayne. He was like, okay, this is how not to do a superhero film. <laughs> Note to self. Yeah. <laughs> Make Iron Man better than this. <laughs> right. Obviously Tom lost Reeves. his notes for Lion King. Oh, there we go. Please. <laughs> Holly, number three. Holly or Ollie? A Holly. <gasps> Holly. Oh, Holly. Um, okay, it's bad. It's very bad. Rotten Tomatoes puts it at 22%. I love it because it's just a big, dumb action film, and I have a lot of fun with it. Alien vs. Predator. Thank you, Ollie. Thank right, you. firm opinion. This is massively overhated. Alien vs. Predator is so overhated. Yeah, I agree. It's not great. I know that. I love Alien. Alien is one of my favourite horror films. I love Aliens. Aliens is one of my favourite action films. It is obviously on a completely different planet to those two films. They, They can't even both be called films. There should be a different word for those wonderful ones if we're putting them in the same category as Alien vs. Predator. But Alien 3 and Alien, is it Resurrection, the fourth one? They're way worse than this. Yeah, they were so po-faced. They were so, like, Alien Resurrection should have been fun and silly, but it it was trying to be fun and silly, seriously. It it, it just, it took itself so, so seriously. Sorry, my baby was trying to fall over on the floor. Come on, Um, second. Poor Jamie. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but Alien Alien versus Predator is just fun and silly. It puts together two, you know, franchises that you wouldn't imagine to go well together, but I actually think it's coherent how they do it. It mm. makes sense to me that Predator, a uh, uh, being that we know is a hunter um, and is always trying to, you know, find the best kill, would have created the apex uh, predator to hunt. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, the the idea of the pyramid again is a bit silly. It's a bit like a computer game kind of levels. I get it. Um, 
but it, it amuses me. I, I'm there with it the whole time. Uh, I like trying to pick out which of the completely non-distinct characters is going to be. I quite like our, our heroine. I like how she manages to make a, a kind of pact, a, a alliance with the traditional bad guy. I always like that as a trope. Mm. Um, I totally enjoyed it. I watch it again any day. They do all of that, by the way, without being able to say a word to each other because they don't speak each other's language. And the way they communicate with each other, like, I, you're, you're kind of being, I, don't, I can't think of the word, you're kind of acquiescing to the idea that it's not that good. I genuinely think the, the final third of that film is genuinely brilliant, where they communicate with each other the idea that the blood is acidic, Oh, their skin isn't acidic, so it doesn't stop it. The way the Predator and uh, Sarna Latham's uh, character communicate and get that across and work with each other when they're forced to is genuinely unreal. And I love the conversation she has with um, Lance Henriksen as well, Wayland. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, um, you know, what do you, you know, do you think your dad remembers the excruciating pain or do you think he remembers having champagne with his daughter at, uh, at Eight thousand meters or whatever it was in feet, uh, top of Everest. Like, yeah, Alien versus Predator is a bit is a bit schlocky and a bit CGI heavy. I think is what people didn't like. And there's some, and this it suffers from that because of the time it was filmed. Some of the action is filmed in a way where you can't really see what's going on. I'll take oh. it. Yes, thank you, Jamie. See, Jamie. Um, <laughs> but. Um, like that, there's that shot as well, you know, where the predator ship just silently goes over in the snowstorm, and like the sound drops. It's just like, yeah, that's such a cool shot. Yeah, yeah. I I liked it. You know, I know that people hate on it, but I I quite liked it. That's yeah, it's it, it, it's not a it's not a top film, but it should not be rotten. It should be not certified fresh, but, you know... Middle of the ground, middle of the road, you know. 65 yeah, 50-60% on Rotten Tomatoes feels fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. The sequel, I... however. Oof. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. My number three is um a sequel in a franchise that, to be fair... I think every sequel apart from the original, every 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 film in it apart from the original, got bad reviews. Um, but I've picked Saw Four. Now, hang on, don't give it that look. Don't give it that face. Uh, okay. <laughs> first, the first Saw film, legitimately. Oh, the first Saw film is incredible. Is is one of my favorite films of all time. Now, based off that, I've then been and watched every sequel and all that kind of stuff. Saw Two is a good film. Got mixed reviews. That's why I didn't pick Saw Two. Saw Three got again mixed but i think saw three is sort of down towards the end saw four just got fully negative reviews but i think it's one of the best entries in the franchise and the reason why i think that and to sort of go full spoiler territory here is the plot and the twist so the idea of the, the saw four starts out with um you sort of you, you're where are we where there's um two guys tied together one has his eyes sewn shut. One has his lips sewn shut. So one can see, the other can speak, but it's not the same person. That's a pretty gruesome starting point. You then go into um, the sort of the main story, 
And what they've done is they've taken a side character of Riggs and they've put him up as the sort of main character. I think it's Riggs anyway. It's yeah, he's, the, he's a SWAT officer, isn't he? The Lyric Bent character, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's going through his whole game. You know, they sort of take it out of one location and they move him around a little bit. But then the twist of he knows that he has to get through a door, but then on the other side of the door, there's somebody who needs to stop whoever comes through the door because they'll they'll basically kill everybody inside. So the officer goes through the door. That then immediately crushes Donnie Wahlberg's head with two massive blocks of ice, which then tip a scale over for the Hoffman gets electrocuted. But then at this point, the big twist and the best twist since the first one, Hoffman's in on it all along, and he's become the new sort of apprentice and the guy who's taking over Jigsaw. I completely fell into that. And the fact it takes it takes place exactly the same time as Saw Three, and no no signs pointing to it until obviously, of course, it's happening at the same time. Why would it not be? Loved it, loved it, and I think it gets. Wasn't it like the message was you were told to leave it and you didn't? You kept on going forward. Yes, but yeah. he's a police officer. It's literally his job. He's not allowed to leave. But you've been told to calm. You've been told to take your time. You've been told to ease off a little bit. And you're not, you're being too hasty, you're rushing into things. And I just, then I that. my main problem with the whole series, without going too much into it, is Jigsaw's whole modus is very, very easy to pick apart. Yeah. He's kind, of, he's kind of heralded as this like, oh, he's got a point. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. <laughs> he lit, like he's not the same as Vulture in No Way not No Way Home, in uh, Homecoming. Yeah. He ain't no vulture in Homecoming where you absolutely understand where he's coming from. He's like, no, you're not giving them a chance at living. You're not. <laughs> yeah, no, I get, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then the, the sort of the spin on the head when Hoffman takes over is that Jigsaw all along should have been putting these traps together where, the, where people can survive. Like, it's difficult. But mm. you can survive. Hoffman doesn't do that. Hoffman just puts people in trouble. Well, it's his it's his original apprentice that doesn't do that. The one who was locked in with them in Amanda. Saw Two, Amanda. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. she was making it literally impossible for yeah. people to survive. But then Hoff, Hoffman just begins to just kill people, just like mm. willy nilly. Um, there's a there's a tenth one coming this year. Um, why would there not be? Which uh, the, the funniest thing, right? And I'm gonna I want to see it. Of course, I want to see it. I've seen all. Is of Tobin them. Bell is somehow still in the bleeding thing? Yeah. It's a prequel that takes place between Saw 1 and Saw 2. But he looks older somehow. <laughs> yeah, of course he does. Because it's been nearly 15 years since the like, oh, no, 20 years. It's been 20 years since the first one. So of course he does. Guy's nearly dead. Right. Yeah. Uh Oliver number three. I have previously referred to this as the worst film that I love. And I did warn you that we could come back to talk about this when it was mentioned earlier. Uh, I can't remember already. Do, 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 do. Nope. What is wrong with you? George is laughing in the background. She knows exactly what it is. The Holiday. Oh, Arthur. I'm with you. He's the screwly do. He's a screwly do. There is not much to really say about it. Like, it's... As, I, I really I really like the holiday. It is as beige a chick flick as you could possibly come up with, and I yeah. don't care 
I don't care. I love it. And I firmly, frankly, do disagree with you two because you two are like, oh, Jack, Jack Black and Kate Winslet's character, they got nothing going on. Why did they force them together? Absolutely not. I love those two together. Those two becoming, like, I love Arthur. He's my favourite aspect of it. But those two coming together is the romance I actually give a damn about. I don't care about Jude Law and Cameron Diaz. I don't care about those two. I think those two have got great chemistry. And it's like, oh, you say, oh, they've only got great chemistry as friends. That's how the best relationships start. Are you telling me you were mates with Amy before you started dating? I met Amy 11 days before we started dating. So I was. <laughs> All right. Well, with me and Georgia, it took months and we were friends beforehand. So maybe I relate with that one a bit more. It's because you're persistent. Yeah. Her being the English rose, <laughs> me being the fat musical type. Maybe I just see myself in the relationship a little bit more. Okay. But those two are chuffing adorable, especially in Blockbuster where Dustin oh, Hoffman yeah. gets his little cameo that we've already had a chat about, and it's yeah. great. Like, it's um, just so pure. Have you read the story recently about how it was Robert Downey Jr. and Jimmy Fallon that went and did a table read for it? For who? So, so, so um, Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet were cast. That was happening. But yeah. then they were trying to get Jude Law and Jack Black yeah. Um, and they just, I don't, I just don't, don't think they could tie them down, but they needed to move on with the script and stuff. So they got Robert Downey Jr. in to do an English accent and to read the Jude Law part. No. And then they got um, Jimmy Fallon in to read the Jack Black part. <gasps> um, and Kate Winslet, Kate Winslet turned to Robert Downey Jr. and said, Are you supposed to be doing an English accent? <laughs> <laughs> and they both sort of said to each other, I don't think we're going to get this. <laughs> I love Iris. Rufus Sewell as well. What a scumbag. Oh, scumbag. Jasper. Edward Burns getting chucked out at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> We've this on the podcast before in our uh, cinema history podcast. Because um, it was the last film I'd seen the holiday. But the, my favourite thing about the film is Rufus Sewell. What a legend. What a scumbag. Uh, it's it's got to be he Arthur. It's Eli Wallach. I love him. That Aww. moment where he walks into the auditorium and there's all those people and he just wants to cry. And then he goes up the stairs by himself. I'm literally welling up thinking about it. It's so cute. Hook, line and sinker. Boom! <laughs> just the holiday. It's terrible and I love it. Oh, dear. It is only, like, I know it's only at number three, but that's because I love the next two films more. This is the worst film that I love. Right. Unequivocally. So... I'm going to kick us off with my number two. Now, again, like I said to you before, I mentioned these to Amy yesterday, and I thought for a while that these two could be interchangeable mm. because one of them, this number two, I love more than I love my number one. And I love it because of the time that I saw it, because of what it means to me, because of what it still means to me. But then my number one is my hill. It's my hill. I have to... Mm. I, it has you get to angry be. about it when people disagree yeah, with you. It has to be number one. So my number two... <laughs> means that much to me that when I finally got to 100 episodes done of the podcast, I devoted an entire episode to this film where I interviewed the guy who wrote it. 1995, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I know. I have this on my list. I know. I nearly had it on. And it's rubbish, right? I know that the CGI is rubbish. By the news, right? Ivan Ooze. Oh, what a film. That is a film that I love and I will love 
for the rest of my life, mm. right? And it opened my eyes when I spoke to Arne Olsen on the podcast, right? Because I asked him about writing it. And basically what they did is they got part of his script and they got part of somebody else's script and they just merged the two together. Because, like a Megazord. Yeah, because he had... The, the original script was like Ivan Ooze and stuff. He had some different stuff to do with the... Um, powers. It was... No, the what was the one with the sticks called? Lord Zed? No, the woman with the sticks on the island. Oh. Diva Talks? Rita? Can't, no, no, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, she's a good guy. Totally oh, the forgot. one who trains them all? Yeah. With their animal. Okay, yeah, and she twirls the sticks and it makes the birds twirls fly away. Sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where are you? Dulcia, right? So he, he had all, all the Dulcia stuff. The other guy had the Ivan Ooze stuff, and they went, right, we want to make both of these, so we're going to put them together. So then they it, put them together. So and, good. I, but like he said, like he had the pitch for it. So I said, well, what, I, looked, I said, well, how does the pitch work? And he said, it's the most unglamorous thing you could ever do in Hollywood. I had to sit in a parked car outside a producer's house. And when I got waved in, go in, go talk to him five minutes back out and I'm gone. And I was like, oh, great. Well, that sounds fun. But he had, he had a fantastic time. And I love the film. It's for me. It was it was that culmination of me watching the episodes all the way through as a kid, finally getting to see this. The main criticism at the time was that it just felt like a bunch of episodes put together. I disagree with that. It's one huge overarching story. Yeah, the narrative is really tight. It's not multiple, and it's got everything in it that you like. Love it. Zordon's been given an upgrade with his effects as well. Yes. You got sad when you thought Zordon was going to die. Oh, she did. Ivan Ooze was a great villain. Ivan Ooze. Ivan Ooze. Paul is a Freeman, fantastic. the guy who yes. played it. Yeah. Paul Freeman, very underrated actor. Fantastic villain. Fantastic villain. So good. And like yeah. those weird, like, I can't remember what the plot was exactly. I know that he's making the Ooze and like the robots are in there. Um, like there's the weird, like, Mantis one and the weird Scorpion one. Yeah. And then Ivan takes over the flying and one and they go to his own Megazord type thing. And the final know. move is that the Megazord knees him in the knees him in the gonads. Yes, it does. Of course it does. That's hilarious. I um I still use a clip of this to teach mise en scène in that we're looking specifically <laughs> about sorry, mise en scène through mighty morphing power oh, yeah. is bold. And the bit when they stood around the fire on Dulcia's Island, right? Mm. I show them a picture of the Power Rangers and then I show a picture of that and I say, right, tell me which one's which. And they know because each character of the costume, before they're even wearing like the, you know, the Power Ranger suits, they're all wearing the colour of which they are in the Power Rangers. This wasn't the one where they made the Asian actress the Yellow Ranger, though, was it? But... Yes, it was. No, I, originally, yes, but then they replaced her with uh, Karen Ashley. Yeah. Yeah. So the Yellow Ranger ended up as a black woman. I remember that. Yeah, and then um, the Black Ranger is an Asian. He's the actor. frog, isn't he? He's is the frog. He's called Adam, and she says, "Adam, what's wrong?" And he goes, "I'm a frog." Uh, yeah, loved it. The kind that turn- when Kiss turns into a handsome prince, and then she's like '90s wrestling fit. So of course you're going to enjoy yeah. that. But then to the point of when it was superheroes on the film study spec. They didn't say to us, these are the set texts that you need to use. Just pick some set text from the course of superhero film history. This was one of them. I mean... I had, I had this, The Dark Knight, and Captain America Civil War. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. Oh, God, that's so How do you know funny. Adam made that scheme of work? Those that's, films. That's great. <laughs> what a shout. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah. 
Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Okay. Oliver, number two. Okay. I had a really difficult time with this because I could have probably populated this entire list with films just like this one that I've chosen. Because uh, I'm talking what we will affectionately refer to as a dick flick. Unabashed, dumb action movie. Because I know I've been prattling on about the smart ones for however long, but the dumb ones that are just like, man, and that's it. And I'm thinking, like, who are the stars of stuff like this? Because I'm not going back to, like, Schwarzenegger, Stallone. I'm thinking 90s. So on the one hand, we've got our Lord and Saviour, Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I could have gone with The Rock. I did not go with The Rock. I could have gone with Gone in 60 Seconds. I did not go with Gone in 60 Seconds. I could have gone with any number of, like, Nick Cage. Oh, what's the one I'm thinking? Um, anyway. And on the other hand, we have our other Lord and Saviour. John Travolta. Oh, no. And I was thinking, oh, Broken Arrow. Yes. Oh, yes. I was thinking Broken Arrow. But, oh. pray put your hands together. Wow. In reverence. Face. <laughs> off. I want to take his face off. <laughs> right. Can I just say, because I think I've said to you guys, because George has just texted me, by the way, saying basically all of your films are quite critically acclaimed. We should have thought about this. Well, I, to be fair, I thought Face Off was actually quite... Uh, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> right. But here's the thing. Oh. Is it a good film? I will say this to you now, and you know this, Oliver. I've not seen it. Right. How dare you? How dare you? Film. Is it, it feels like it could be a bad film, but it's not. Good film. Mm. It's the no, mirage. I, I honestly think because it's it's yeah. it's a dick flick. It literally is. It's there's nothing else to it. It's that it's not very deep at all. Seven point three out of ten on IMDb. Yeah, I'm aware of the ratings, not, I don't it's, care. It's, it's not. It's uh, hang on. <laughs> Earned critical I, acclaim for the performances. Unless I'm right, I'm also putting this in there for every single film like this, like The Rock, like Broken Arrow, all of these over-the-top, stupid action films from the mid-90s, which it is just absolutely indicative of. You, you, but my to, friend, put, to put it simply, the reason I have to have this in here is because I'm fairly sure you know what George's opinion certainly was of Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. She can't stand him. She hates him. Okay. She loves John Travolta with a passion, with a fire. I do not fully understand, but I am here for it. Okay. I suggested, I do not know how I convinced her on this, that we watch Face Off. And she was like, that was so much fun. It's just hilarious how mad. It is, as a film. It makes zero sense. The prison that he ends up in with the stupid magnet shoes is dumb. The acting... Like, just the idea of Nicolas Cage, famous over-actor, over-acting in the style of John Travolta, whilst John Travolta does the exact same backwards. Crazy. And brilliant. And, like I said, I'm aware it's critically acclaimed, but it is one of those... It's 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 indicative, isn't it? That style of film, because I could have honestly filled it with the likes of Broken Arrow, The Rock, um, 
There's a bunch of others that I'm forgetting about. There's a lot of films there, though, you're saying are critically acclaimed. Right, but they, they're, not, they're not good. They're critically they're acclaimed. No, but they're not good films. They're, like, the no, characters I think, are... I think you're conflating good and deep. They're not, not deep films, I'm but they are good films. Right, but the... Like, they are overacting. It is completely unrealistic. It's very, very, like, take-it-at-face-value style writing. The writing's quite poor. The fact is you go into face-off not caring about that because it's just hilarious and the action is shot quite well, even though, like, you're meant to take it seriously when Pete Nicolas Cage sits an attractive woman on his lap and talks about how he could eat a peach for hours. That's so, not good rising, but I don't care. Like Ollie's number one, Citizen Kane. <laughs> <laughs> I stand by it. It's not by any stretch of the imagination like an objectively good film, but people I include, I, I'm not saying again, it's not necessarily a hot take, you know, for once from the Edge Lord or whatever, but it isn't a good film. It's, it it's it doesn't make you think for you saying it's crap but I like it and everyone's like it's, is it though? It's absolute <laughs> dribble but people like it's the kind of dribble that people like. It's like Godzilla. People flocked to see Godzilla and people loved Godzilla. Oh they should. <laughs> yeah. Right. Hall number two. I, I don't think I've been ashamed of any of the films I've said so far. I think some of them have been a bit silly. Um, but I don't think I've been ashamed of any of them. I am really ashamed of this one. However, it's one of the first ones I thought of when you told me the idea for the list. Then, uh, because I was finding it difficult and I was sending the message out to all my friends and my sister and everyone saying, what terrible films did we used to watch that we really liked? Two of the three people I sent this message to came back with this film first. Um, so I have to put it on the list because I do like it, but I'm really ashamed of liking it because it is uh, pretty uh, stereotypical and insulting in its depictions of people of a different race. I won't say racist, but very bad. It's like Mickey Rooney style bad, really. Um, really? It's <laughs> very misogynistic. Uh, it's it it is very problematic now, but I still love it. It's dude, where's my car? Dude, I could quote this film all day. True story. Amy's email address when I first met her was freakingcage at hotmail.com. Yes, it was. Yeah. And what then... does mine say? Sweet. <laughs> what about mine? <laughs> I watched this film to death. This was before Anchorman became... I, I, I can't remember where I heard it, but someone said, before we had memes on the internet, we just had angry young men quoting Anchorman at each other. Um, that is what I was doing. I love that film. 
I loved it so much. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. It, 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 Dude, where's my car? That's an amazing shout. <laughs> <laughs> even the even the actors in it are bad. I mean, Ashton, it, it can't even say like the actors are so charismatic and, and sell the lines or anything to say it's good. I think it's like a really, really bad version of Harold and Kumar get the message, which I was thinking of putting on the list, but it's actually got good reviews, so I couldn't, because that is much better. Um, <laughs> but I do dress my car. Oh, good days. Good days, that was. Oh, Love it. Right, number Love ones. It. Come on. These have got to be good. These are going to be some good ones now. Ollie? I'm, I mean, I'm fairly sure at least one of you will be able to guess what mine is. Or at least get close. Because huh. keep in mind, mine have been kind of progressively how much I love them. I mean, I mean are we going like Phantom Menace? That's exactly where we're going. Is that where we're going? That's exactly where we're going. I like go into the jewel of face. Look, this is one of the. I think this film caught me in the sweet spot because I was seven years old, six or seven years old when I saw this film, and everybody knows. Like we've already talked about it. I've picked it apart. The story makes no sense. The characters are very poorly realized, especially the legacy characters who we've already met. They're nothing like the characters that we you know know them to be or anything like that they completely messed up by not making obi-wan the main character across these three films you know the list goes on we've talked to death about what is wrong with them i think you've championed this film a lot more and i think it might come as a surprise off the back of that because i've been quite critical of this film not long after we had that star wars talk we did the watch for it and i was sitting watching phantom minutes minute minutes phantom menace and i was like Oh, for God's sake, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. Like, I hate it because I can pick it apart. Like, the pod race is damn oh, cool. I hate the how they get, I still maintain, I hate the loop, the hoops they've got to jump through in order to get that pod race. But the pod race is a damn cool scene. It's really tense. You're written, you know, the music, the music throughout it is fantastic. It is genuinely some of John Williams' best music in Star Wars is in Phantom Menace, which is saying something. Mm-hmm. Um, like the weird ethereal stuff at the beginning, the music for Otagunga as it appears, and they go through like that. Duel of the Fates. Yeah. Um, the stuff that plays to keep, keep, rack, up, rack up the tension during the pod race and stuff like that. Fantastic bits of music. Visually stunning. Like I said, the main criticism of it is that it's just a bunch of cool scenes that someone clearly didn't know how to link. And it's one of them. If you find a way to link those scenes, it's fantastic. Like, I would have had it, like I said, Anakin's a bit older. Padme was being chased past uh, Tatooine, maybe by Darth Maul, who you established a bit earlier. They get shot down, they crash land, they get kidnapped. So the Jedi are sent in to rescue her, and Anakin helps them out. He's a bit older. And maybe the pod race is instead like a skiff chase through the desert. Mm -hmm with like guns and stuff like that and you'd still yeah. get that same and you get Anakin being a great pilot him and Obi-Wan are more similar right? you know stuff like that but by the by I still found myself watching it thinking yeah boy yeah, <laughs> yeah boy just I love this I love Darth Maul 
I yeah, I I really flip flop as to whether I wanted him to stay alive throughout. I know he does, but for everyone who's only watched the films, he's dead <laughs> at that point. Let's be real. Um, like well, not if, even if, just just only watched the films, wasn't it? Was it Solo? Yeah, he was in Solo, but again, yeah. like out. If you've just watched the films, you have no idea how he's there. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. it's just like oh, so cutting someone in half doesn't do anything anymore. With the light, it's like okay, cool, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, like the criticism about the fighting being a bit too perfect, I get. Um, again, it would have been nice to have more there from the beginning, and maybe he could have developed more of a rival. But whatever, like mm. I watched it, and it was like. God's sake, I hate myself for loving this, but I do still love this. Like, I can't say the same for Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones is a slog to sit through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I still think that about Revenge of the Sith. I think it's oh, better really? than Attack of the Clones. I think I would change the ranking now. I think I'd have Phantom Menace above Revenge of the Sith. Okay. Because it's got those practical effects in it. It relies, like, it's got the most model use out of any Star Wars film to that date. Like, including the original six. I don't know about with, you know, um, seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. Or, and, and like the waterfalls in feed, they're pouring salt down a green screen and it looks right. like a waterfall off in the distance. Like little things like that. It's really clever. And the robot, the droids are all clearly real and have the yeah. stuff taken yeah. out later. And it's later where it's just like, oh, CGI it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, God, you stopped caring, didn't you? Taden Christensen's fault. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Hayden, I love you. So of course, gets everywhere, sit you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, Holly, number one. Hey, so this one is my lowest score. It's 17% on the tomato meter. Um, it's from 1986, and it's called Haunted Holly, uh, Honeymoon. Haunted Honeymoon, I'll say okay. it properly. Um, it stars uh, Gene Wilder, Gilda Radner, um, Don DeLillo, like lots of Saturday Night Live, early Saturday Night Live people. Um, I just think it's hilarious. Um, I was reading the reviews as to why people didn't like it, and it just got panned. People saying it's not scary and it's not funny. Um, the jokes are uh, like below, like a child would laugh at them. Um, they're wrong. They're just wrong. It is a brilliant film, and I love it with my full heart. Um, it has Jonathan Price in it, and it's the first film I saw with him in, and is probably one of the reasons why he's my favourite actor of all time, bar none. Um, it's uh, it, it, it's a, a group of actors who uh, do radio plays, um, and two of them are getting married, and they are travelling back to uh, Gene Wilder's character's family home to announce that they're getting married um, and he has a difficult childhood and he's having um, anxiety about going home so, with no logic whatsoever all of his family and friends and his uh, fiance decide that they're going to scare him to death their literal words to like jump start him out of this anxiety and and like funk that he's in in his life he did his psychologist says right he needs to be scared to death and that will like restart his system so the whole time they're at this old spooky uh haunted kind of family home they're just trying to scare him 
um, and as the audience, you're not sure what is a trick that all the family and the friends are doing and what is actually real because it seems like there is one member of the family who is oh. actually a real werewolf um, and might not be joking in order to scare their cousin. They might actually be a werewolf um, and are killing people while they're trying to pull this prank. Um, it's very, very silly, obviously, um, but the, the first time I saw it, I thought it was the scariest thing I'd ever seen because the first time I saw it, I was five. And it was back in the where you would film, you would record films off the telly on a VHS and you could put them on long play. Um, so if you put your video on long play, you could fit two films onto one VHS. So my parents used to um, record all of the Disney films when they came on telly at Christmas onto VHS so we didn't have to buy the proper ones. Um, and they put it on long play so they could stuff two films onto the same VHS. But this one was uh, Alice in Wonderland. Disney's Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> and then immediately afterwards, this other film started. So we'd be sitting there like five, four and two, like my <laughs> sister and my brother, watching the end of Alice in Wonderland. And then suddenly we were on this other film that was talking about werewolves and we thought it was amazing. We thought it was terrifying. And we had this like game basically for years, literal years, that mum would say, what film do you want to watch? And we'd say Alice in Wonderland. And she'd say, what? Again, put it on, go out of the room. And then we'd fast forward and try to watch as much of Haunted Honeymoon as possible before she came back into the room and realised what we'd done. <laughs> um, and so I grew up thinking it was an actual horror film. It wasn't until I was older where I actually saw the DVD in a shop and bought it that I realised that it's like a universal certificate. It's just a comedy film with like horror trappings. Um, it's very, still, American werewolf in London. Yeah, I still absolutely love it, and I I don't know why it's been so critically panned, saying it's not funny or it's not scary. I think it's both. I there's a very interesting twist. The bad guy is not who you would expect to be the bad guy in this type of film. Um, the arch of the story, what actually happens um, to the main character and his mental state is not what you would expect from this type of film. Um, I, I think it's great. It's, I really, really like this film and I, I don't know why anyone wouldn't. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay. My number one, My Hill. I've men I must have mentioned this at some point. I'm going to join you on this hill, Adam. I hope so. It's Daredevil. Of course it's Daredevil. Of course I, it's I, Daredevil. I called, I called it before. Of course it's of course Daredevil. Of course it's Daredevil. 2003. Ben Affleck. I'm, I'm not joining you, mate. I'm not going to... I'm not, I'm not judging your opinion. I'm not... I'm not... I have, I have always liked this film, right? No, I know. I know, even, I know. Even from first time I saw it, right, to where... It, it, it like somewhere like a couple of years afterwards, I bought it on DVD and it was director's cut and I didn't realize that they'd done a director's cut. So then I watched it again with all the coolio scenes added in because for whatever reason, <laughs> it's an entire, entire subplot in the film. Um, but 
I, I honestly cannot see what's not to like about this film. Like, yeah, it's dark. Yeah, it's brooding. Yeah, they're all a little bit moody, right? But the origin story, I think, is done well enough with his dad being a boxer. Mm. Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin is absolutely superb. I really like Colin Farrell as Bullseye. I think Jennifer Garner as Electra is a little bit middling. You know, it's it's not it's not the best at all. Oh, and then, <laughs> like to this day, one of my favorite songs, and I will still listen to it now, is Evanescence Bring Me to Life. Like <laughs> and just the Why she's where... stabbing the sandbags because that's really good training. And it, 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 it does get very music video that montage sequence, but I really, really like Daredevil, and I don't yeah. know why it gets so much stick. I think it's yes. unintended. I think it is the most 2000 like it's very much a product of its time so we can't help that yeah. i just there's remember companies so you uh, know those mining companies that like really unscrupulous ones who like destroy whole mountains yeah oh, i'm gonna start one of those so i can kill your hill <laughs> a flipping hate daredevil <laughs> there's nothing wrong with daredevil devil yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I really like it. And I think yeah. It's just it's it's quite cliche. Like and there's little things that just don't add up. Like Daredevil doesn't kill, and it's always been established that he doesn't kill. And yet the opening criminal we see him deal with, he kills. He leaves him to get bisected on a train track. Ah well. And like probably deserved it. And like what else? Your is- Pantoliano. Yeah, and oh yeah, and that cop's talking to him. It's like, listen, I'm talking to you in a way that I hope doesn't have any immediate comeuppance. Got it? <laughs> Pretty sure he could be arrested for that as well, by the way. Oh, I love it. Uh, what is it? Ben Knowles, the, uh, what's it called? The journal. Yeah. Yeah, it, like, and he suffers from like all the editing is just very early 2000s, you know, that kind of jump cutting through everything because the kid, the, the editor's kid discovered the fast forward button. Love it. Yeah. You can't, you can't change my mind. You can't. And there's, the, like, there's, the, there's a bit when he's a kid and like he shows those guys bullying him. Fine. And they're like talking about coming back for round two when he's blind. It's like, what kids would do that? I don't know a single kid. I don't know a single kid. I like when he saves Stanley from walking across the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one scene in it that I will concede to you is Naf, is um, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner in that kids' play area on a season. Oh my god, that's awful! <laughs> I'm like Jennifer, you know, I didn't kill your father, liar, liar. Yeah. I, I will say Colin Farrell does basically make up this film for me. Oh yeah, oh, his yeah. lack of caring, like. I is the one point where he snarls at a rose, like he snarls a rose and then snarls at it. Yeah, <laughs> loves stuff on his head on the bullseye. Yeah, like, head. yeah kills an old woman with a peanut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. I, I love how he refuses Great. to drop his Irish accent as well. Oh, more I mean, peanuts. it fits though, doesn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, he's incredible. Like he's just having the time of his life. Yeah. yeah. And there's like the the stigmata where he gets shot through the hands. Yeah. And he gets booted through the church window. Like, love it, love it all. But like, and like, there's a point where the thing he, you know, like every brooding action here, like comic book hero, needs something to brood over, like the second act point. 
the thing he's brooding over is I'm not the bad guy. Okay. And and like what what like why are you grappling with this? Bruce Wayne had to grapple with the fact that he got Rachel Dawes killed. Spider-Man had to grapple with the fact that him accepting this responsibility was stopping him from being able to love MJ and live the life that he wants to live. His is, oh, I scared a kid. And? <laughs> Whatever. Oh, right. How long? Five hours of a podcast? Go ahead. Eh? Disgrace. Right. Thank you very much for watching. Thank you very much for listening. Just stay safe, look after each other. Thanks again if you've stayed this long. It's his fault. Yeah. I'm doing a tier <laughs> list with him next week. That's his fault. <laughs> Bye.